Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast. We're continuing on our discussion from the last few weeks. We're getting near the end of this quarter, the end of this season of our podcast, and um, deep in the New Testament now. We're also going to try and pick up some on some of the threads that we did not have time enough to address uh, last week, and uh, hopefully we'll get to that today. Uh, Ken is not with us. Ken has been uh, playing the Good Samaritan today. He came around to help me erect a shed because I had a tent, an old canvas tent that I'd rigged to keep some things dry while my other shed was being built and then a storm came through and flattened my tent. And um, uh, what was it last week? I'd just wrecked a car, hadn't I? You had, yes. Yeah, so basically my my life is filled with with chaos and, and mayhem. And uh, but that's being sorted out. Ken's been helping me on that, and he's now busy uh, with things that he needs to do. Uh, my name's Cameron. Very glad that you are here with us, though, and hope you enjoy our discussion. And I'm Luke, and uh, I haven't had nearly as many interesting incidents as Cam, but I'm very glad to be here. And my name's Lachlan. I haven't broken anything today because I haven't actually achieved uh, or even started any of the tasks really that I had on my to-do list when I woke up this morning. So All right. uh, I'm glad to be here having having at least one productive output from the day. Good, good. Uh, Locke, do you want to um, take us, you had a passage I think in Galatians for us to read and we might read it and then we might pose some questions and see how many of the questions we get through. Yeah, the passage that I had in mind was Galatians chapter 3. And uh, I think if we start at the start um, of that chapter, I we may not get to the very end, I recommend we read 1 to 14. There's a good pause at 14, um, a, a convenient stopping point. And our sort of key point that, that it builds to from the start of the chapter is sort of the verses 10 to 14. Great. Um, good. I'll, start, I'll start from verse 1 then. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Hello, Hello. (laughs) how are you? You've arrived just in time for Papa to read his bit. Would you like to hear it? You want to hear Papa read it? Okay. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. (laughs) It's a valiant effort. (laughs) He's just come in, sung a couple of verses, and has rode off on a scooter. Mm, Excellent. Great aplomb. (laughs) Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Reading that out loud is tough. There's some there's some layering of, of argument there that probably well, needs a little the, bit of unpacking. It, it, it almost feels to me like there's some there's some some cultural references, some phrases that I do not have the knowledge to fully understand. I, I don't where where was it written cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree? That sounds like a, a, a reference that everyone in the immediate audience of this author would know. I think it's Deuteronomy. My, I'm looking at the links in my Bible, and it says Deuteronomy 21. And and in verse in verse 12, what does what does that quote mean? The one who does them shall live by them. Mm. I I don't understand verse 12, and verse 12 does seem to be sort of key to this concept. Oh, I've got a link for that one too. Hang Ooh, on. Well, uh, Leviticus Leviticus 18:5. Let's go and look at it right now. If it's Leviticus, it's almost certainly something to do with the law. Hmm. Safe bet. Uh, um, the passage does seem a bit impenetrable. Not quite as bad as the instructions for this shed I'm building. And at one point, I was there with Ken. Ken was helping me and his dad was there too. Harley was there. And I said, I just, I just don't know what to do next. And Harley said, oh, he said, what you should do is follow the instructions. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> they were the problem. Um he knew that other problem too. He was teasing me. Uh, Leviticus 18.5. Yeah, you're right, Cam. The references in your Bible are spot on. Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Yeah, okay. Uh, so that is that is very much... Well, see, no, it's not... Is the passage in Leviticus talking about an eternal salvation? Or is the passage in Leviticus just saying the keeping of these laws imparts life? Yeah, the, Levitic, I mean, I have not read uh, fully all of this, but it does not say why you must obey the laws and be careful to follow the decrees. It just says what obeying the laws means is to live by them. Yeah, and one other comment that's important here is that the passage in Leviticus there comes from a section of of laws that are not the laws we normally point to when we speak of the law. Um, you know, it was just after a passage about about blood, and it was just before a passage about you know laws of sexual behaviour. Um, it's it seems to me that it's a lot more to do with the the cultural laws than it is to do with the sort of what we would call the moral law. I don't know, Locke. I reckon that most of those laws in 18, people would feel quite comfortable endorsing. Well, oh, so I realise from your comments, I'm I'm reading this verse 5 in, in Leviticus 18 uh, a certain way that may not be, um, you know, the best way. So I was just taking... Um, live by them to mean implement them in your life you know the way you you live by a code of honor or you live by mm. a set of principles uh, or you live by you know uh, a a collection of habits you know but maybe it could be read to mean the person who obeys them will live because they obey them 
Mm. That's what I think Paul is. That is seems to be the, the meaning that Paul is saying. Yeah. Yeah, and and there is one other layer there of complexity though, because the old I I can't speak off off the top of my head about these laws in this part of Leviticus, but the Old Testament does have many laws that involve a penalty of death. And it seems to me that Paul in Galatians, where we read in Galatians three, is more speaking about living and dying in a more profound sense. Um the the living the kingdom life or or being excluded from God's kingdom in some way, where perhaps the author of Leviticus might have been thinking, if they were thinking indeed of, of life as a consequence, they may have been thinking much more tangibly of just live, follow these laws and you will live because you won't be breaking the laws, some of which come with the penalty of death. So, I mean, Paul is 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 talking about um, abstract abstract ideas. Is hopefully God's salvation is not entirely abstract. Hopefully, it's something imminent and and tangible. But uh, he's talking about much more philosophical terms. I think your distinction is right. I don't think the writer in Leviticus is is thinking so much of of eternal life and everlasting salvation and hmm. and Paul, uh, Paul is making a. a- He's, he's referencing a well-known scripture to make a new theological point, perhaps. And his, his point seems to be here, and, and we have to be a bit careful too, because there's uh, horses for courses, and Paul changes his advice depending on who he's writing to. So when he, when he writes to some people, he says, don't pray with endless repetitions like the pagans do. It's not, it's not the number of words. You're not going to convince God by just saying it ten times in a row, and then to other people he says, "I'll pray without ceasing," mm. um, and, and so, ask until you receive it. Be like the well, that wasn't actually Paul's teaching, yeah. but yes, yeah. But there's different messages for different people, and the message seems to be to these Galatians: you've lost track of things a little bit. You're you're effectively trying to prove to God that you are righteous, and that's that's not how this new covenant works. That's that's old covenant. That's think of the law, and and we operate under a new covenant, which is different in a very fundamental way. Uh, the righteous will live by faith, and the law is not based on faith. You either do it or you don't. This this also speaks to the distinction that we've referred to earlier: the the difference between a a mindset focused on being, what are you, as opposed to a mindset focused on doing, what do you do. Um, and the Old Testament is very much just concerned with what are you what are you to do and obviously god wanted changed minds changed hearts he wanted people to grow in their knowledge of him to grow to be like him and character growth to occur but the instructions seem to be very um much predominantly do this do that do this do that and paul's saying well, okay well that's that was good for a time and it didn't work out very well uh, but we're onto something different here and you are you are regressing you're not progressing if you think you're going to operate in that way. My question is, uh, Paul may be laboring a point a little bit because he's talking to particular people with a particular mindset that he's trying to help and correct. So he may not be trying to lay down a nuanced discussion of this topic. But is it true that people operating under the old covenant were saved or gained life by doing the things in the covenant? When we as Adventists um, consider the new covenant and the word life specifically, new life, 
we think of post-second coming eternal life almost exclusively. Um, and one of the things that our recent uh, discussions on the the topic of covenants um, has been, that I have had reason to reconsider, is this relatively narrow and specific definition of the life that is referring to. Which is not to say that it doesn't mean that life, I th- but I'm starting to believe that it means not only that life, but also other lives, such as a better, more fulfilling life here and now. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, one of the key words that comes out here in Galatians 3 in relation to this is uh, perhaps perhaps most visible in, in 3 verse 11. Uh, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So justified before God, uh, righteous, I suppose would be another key word there, seems to be more connected to that picture, Luke, that you're describing of life. Um, what what that means? Covenant being being p- portrayed in the context of eternal destiny. Mm. Well, what that what that means is is no one has successfully followed <laughs> the law. In every detail. Well, I think this isn't this the question that you were getting at, Cam. In the old covenant, was it mm. ever true that the the people were saved or lived or, or made righteous? I suppose if we if we can conflate those words by yeah. the law, certainly. If we go back to Noah's covenant, lot um, after the flood, God looks around and says, "Do you know what? I'm I'm not going to destroy the earth again. Uh, I'm going to make a covenant with them instead." Even though, even though the inclination is always evil, I will, I will in, instead make a covenant. And the covenant yeah. will be one of restraint on my part. So that, that covenant uh, certainly is not conditional on, on humans doing the right thing. It, it's God saying, what will my res- response continue to be when people are not doing it right? Well, I, I won't destroy them all. This causes me distress, but I'll just have to wear that. And um, and then there are other details in the covenant that we, we talked about. When we get into the Israel as a nation, the Israelites were not given the law until after they had been saved from Egypt. Yeah. So they, they were not saved. In fact, prior to leading them out of Egypt, God doesn't say anything about Sabbath keeping or, or um, the other commandments, coveting. Well, they actually take a fair bit of gold and silver with them. Um, from the Egyptians, so um, God God saves them and then delivers them the, the commandments, and the commandments contain provision for what to do when people do not keep the commandments. There's the, there's the ceremony annual ceremony where the, there's a scapegoat and um, and the sins are taken out of the camp of Israel, and there are prescriptions given for various sin offerings, which seems to presuppose the idea that. Uh, although God has given them the law, He doesn't expect it. He doesn't. His prediction is that it won't be kept in its entirety all the time. Mm. And yeah, so, well, um... so being part of Is the nation of Israel itself depended on being repentant, at least as much as being trying to be holy, trying to be set apart. There's there's a quandary in that, Cam. You're absolutely good. right. Um, the law. The Old Covenant, which is to say the Abrahamic Covenant, or the Mosaic Mm. Covenant. I'm not sure what we're calling it. 
Because there's the covenant with Abraham, but then the law, as you said, comes after the Exodus. Hmm. And there is a distinction because the Abrahamic covenant is is given as a statement. It The Mosaic covenant is tied to the commandments. We saw hmm. that in the passage, I think it was just before the, the chapter, just before the, where the Ten Commandments are given so, in but, Leviticus. Yeah, so here's the contradiction. The Mosaic covenant, as you said, incorporates procedures and rules and guidelines and systems for what to do when people don't keep the law. So that covenant also has built into it a, an understanding that, that people will not keep the law. So if, if that covenant also, <clears throat> you know, the new covenant says we are not made righteous by the law, right? But, but by faith. But the old covenant also says we're not made righteous by the law. <laughs> I, I think you're right. And I actually think that the author of Galatians here is saying that a bit them, themselves when they when they comment on Abraham. So so there's two aspects in which they invoke Abraham. One is they they connect God's justifying of the Gentiles by faith with the blessing to Abraham that said, in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Um, and, you know, we discussed that passage at length uh, a couple of months ago at the start of this season or early in this season of the podcast when we were looking more specifically at the story of Abraham. Um, you know, in Abraham, he is promised that in him all of the nations of the world will be blessed. All of the families of the world will be blessed as his story starts with the, the selection of a special family that becomes the focus of God's activity as recorded in the Old Testament for some time. But the, the second aspect here in Galatians 3 that the author really wants to focus on is the fact that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's quoted here in 3 verse 8. And that same passage or that same phrase from the story of Abraham is quoted in Romans chapter 4. Um, you know, it, it, Romans chapter 4 verse 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it seems to be going, the New Testament reflecting in the light of Jesus on these stories that we call the Old Testament, um, it seems to be making particular uh, point that what you're saying, Cam, the, even even under the old covenant, the righteousness, the justification, the salvation, the the eternal life, all of these sorts of phrases, was coming as a result of the faith rather than necessarily as a result of adherence to the law in all its particulars at all and times. Even, even ignoring like the sin, the sin offerings, which were directly related to repentance and forgiveness, just the daily sacrifices. Uh, that's an act of faith. It's an and of course they're they're living around at a at a time when there was people. Gods were fickle, and you never knew what they would want, what they asked, and people would sacrifice kids and you know cut themselves like the prophets of Baal and 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 like the story in Abraham with Isaac. God says no, I, a sheep is sufficient to show your devotion to me. And to express, it, it seems to us a very odd act of worship. But but God says no. Um, that that all those other things are not required. Uh, you can sacrifice the sheep instead. And that that is itself. Every time they killed that sheep, 
they are taking God at his word. So it is an act of faith. Which is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. They're saying, God, mm. you've said that this is enough, and so we say that this is enough. And 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 uh, so so and then I, I was just flicking over to Romans lot because I know that we were thinking of turning back to Romans, and I I couldn't find the passage we we're going to read, but I found a different one. Um, in Romans, Paul quotes David, and he says, uh, "This is Romans chapter four, verse six. David said the same thing when he speaks about the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David says, "Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin." The Lord will never count against him. Now, David is one person you could you could never say was saved because of all the wonderful things he did in his life. Mm. There's a number of keywords in that passage attributed to David, quoted in Romans four. There's a number yeah. of elements there that are connected to the passages we've been looking at over the last few weeks in relation to the new covenant promised by Jeremiah thirty-one and explored in in the New Testament. Um, the idea that the sins will not be counted and that the lawless deeds are forgiven. These were specific elements of that new covenant promised by Jeremiah. So the question we're getting to is, is, is this new covenant really new? Because Paul seems to be hedging his bets. In some points he says, no, you Galatians are foolish, foolish people. You're trying to operate under this old, outdated system of, of earning and the new covenant is something different. And then in the next breath, he's saying, but just hang on, come to think about it. It's not that different, is it? Because even even back then, people were saved by their faith. Mm. Mm. And indeed, well, so is, is this then a matter of presentation and framing? The, the, Paul was talking to an audience that had become so obsessed with the law that the new, the new covenant needed to be presented to them as new so that they would understand it was different from what they thought, even though what was actually happening is they were being returned to a better understanding of the old covenant. C.S. Lewis used to say that more often we need reminding than teaching. That's a good point. And I wonder, this feels like it has implications for something which is a, a very common Adventist preoccupation, which is, does the new covenant remove the need for adherence to the law because it's a new covenant that's about faith does the law still apply or can it be done away with and it's a contentious issue well the question uh, a good question i think follow-up question and i've not thought of this before but i'll use it next time i'm in such a discussion is to say to the person who who raises the question which of the old laws is it that you're wanting to get rid of? Well, and of course, the uh, the the truth behind that is is that there are many old laws that we have gotten rid of. In fact, I would I would say yeah. at at I would hazard a, a fairly confident guess that most of the old laws, most of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Leviticus, etc., we have long since done away with. And there's really only a couple in there that we like to get hung up on for cultural reasons more than anything else. I don't know if we've done away with them, though, Luke, because we're uh, most of them we haven't done away with because we want we want them t- to be gone. No, they've just become most irrelevant. Us, they've just become irrelevant. Um, what I, what I'm saying is what I'm saying. What I'm trying to get at is if you said to, if someone said to you, "Oh, the new covenant definitely the law doesn't count." 
Uh, great, because my neighbour's got a Lamborghini and I've been desperate to take it off him for the last 12 months and now finally I can. You know, if there's there's an element to which we're, if you're really desperate to get rid of some of these laws, um, we need to stop and ask ourselves why. Well, you know, yes, and I think you could reasonably expect it to be a given that um, we all agree that uh, some laws, indeed many laws, are good and useful and we should keep adhering to them. Um, but the question is whether or not the new covenant requires that. Well, let's, let's keep that not. one for when Ken's here, because I know that Ken um, brought up some topics in... Uh, was, that, was that last week's recording or was it last week at Launceston Church? Might have been at Launceston Church. He had some comments on that. Hmm. I've been just thinking about this back back a few moments, this question of, well, what's new about this new covenant? It seems that the crediting righteousness on the basis of faith happened for Abraham, and that can't be all that new. It certainly is one of the elements of the new covenant that, that we claim as Christians. But it seems that the author of Galatians is identifying a new element, and it's the scope. By saying, uh. in... The gospel of Jesus, this promise to Abraham is now applied to all nations. So it may have been true that Abraham had righteousness credited to him because of his faith. That is God's good pleasure and his discretion to do so. But what is new now and what is motivating us, you know, I almost hear this, Galatians, um, you know, in the chronology is coming from most likely from Paul's first missionary journey. It's one of the early events and, and, and perhaps one of the early writings of the New Testament. I'm not entirely sure of scholarship, what the scholarship says. But the whole New Testament is exploring this idea, what, what does it mean for God's promise to be applied to the whole world, not just to us as the descendants of Abraham? And that then means that when we hear the word law, I think we should at least sometimes substitute the word tradition yeah, because it's so good. easy for us to say that we are in to, not to say to implicitly assume that we're actually made righteous by adherence to our traditions. We are, we are a lot. We definitely are, and you can tell because you can tell because the measurement used in most Adventist churches for uh, the metric that's used to judge someone's spiritual condition is whether they are in that building between the hours of eleven and twelve. Well. Uh, perhaps 9.30 and 12 can, because, of course, to be truly righteous, one must well, attend and participate I w- I, in Sabbath I want to say some parts of the world, Lachlan, would scoff at that. They would say that only the truly righteous attend church from at least 9 a.m. through till sunset. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, no, I, and, I and that's your, your bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah. I, so, but- and, and and it's about whether we say the right words. and To that, I would say I heard a really excellent quote over the weekend, a really excellent statement um, over the weekend on, on very much this topic. Um, and the statement was that a question is often asked of the per- Well, a question that the lecturer often asked their students was, what is the opposite of faith? To which the students would often reply, the opposite of faith is doubt. To which the lecturer would reply, no, the opposite of faith 
is certainty. Hmm. Faith is having the doubt and believing anyway. Paraphrasing slightly. So if we talk if we talk about about salvation, life, righteousness through faith, and we understand that definition of faith, which I believe to be a true and accurate one, I have certainly not found the opposite of faith to be doubt. Are you then certain we must, that it's a true and faithful one? We must. I am not, Cam, because we must be very wary of certainty as Christians. And 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 that I guess. Luke, you're tying that into Locke's comment on tradition. Yes. Tradition, tradition an emphasis on tradition seems to seems to impart a certain level of of confidence. Mm. Mm. And and it's interesting, you know, here because Paul is making use of the Jewish tradition to make his point. So the tradition has value. You know, he's able to draw on all these references, and we've talked about how there's this is just packed with little quotes mm. from here and there and everything else. It's it's very dense. The tradition. Um, is not without use. Uh, but I like your idea, Locke, and I'm going to come to it just in a minute. But first of all, um, your comment that what is unique here is that God's uh, this process of being saved by faith is now open to the Gentiles, I would also like to suggest is, is not a new thing. Well, he um, quotes Abraham I, being a blessing to all nations, well, which is I can, very old. I can, give, I can give one example, and that's the story of Ruth. Uh, there was a prohibition against having anything to do with Moabites for I think mm. ten generations was it lot? After the incident so. after the incident of Balaam and the donkey. And this is well within ten generations. So uh for uh Naomi's son to marry uh a Moabitess was in direct disobedience disobedience to the law and uh Ruth had no business in any part of Israel and certainly no business, um, I was going to say seducing, seducing is too strong a word, but, but going after an Israelite man, that's the, that was the whole problem with the, with the story of, of Balaam and Balak. But, but she is so gracious, and she, she, it is an act, explicit act of faith. Your people will be my people, your God will well, be my God. So it's an act of faith. And it's done and out of love, rightly. love for her mother yeah. in her mother-in-law. Mm. Not mm. A, not a direct relation, but her her being upheld as a hero of the Old Testament is not because observation of the law. Um, it's because of a faith and a generous heart, um, and you know a life lived trying to do right things. And she she's upheld as a, as a great hero. And, um, and there are lots of other passages, notable passages all through the Bible where. Uh, where people not in the nation of Israel are saved through faith, mm. and you think mm. you think of the the widow of Zarephath, and um, is it the widow of Zarephath or the which is the one? There's the lady whose sons raised from the dead, and she's not mm. she's not an Israelite. Yeah, and the and one I'm thinking of is the is the cruise of oil. Um, the cruise of oil. Who, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of the Roman centurion. You know that 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 part of the Gospels is fantastic because it it lays it out for you. You've got mm. the the priestly Jew, the unclean woman Jew, and then the Roman hated occupier, Gentile foreigner, pagan, and they mm. increase in faith as you get further away from the ideal traditional Jewish picture of righteousness. Now, I was going to make I was going to make one comment there, Cam, earlier. 
in your list. I was going to say that perhaps the difference is that in the old... So Ruth does adopt the traditions and customs. She becomes more Jewish, more Hebrew. Yeah, and true. in the New Testament, as these apostles go on their missionary journeys, the conundrum that they're challenged with is, okay, maybe these people have faith and are followers of God without needing to adopt all of my traditions. But then as you increased your list and started to include um, you know, some of the other people in those stories, maybe the message all through the Bible from the start has been, there are faithful people following God and, and, and having righteousness credited to them, even outside the tradition of the Hebrews. All, all of which lends a great deal of weight to your theory, Cam, that the, and apologies if this isn't your theory, but I ta- I'm taking it to be, that the new covenant is, is simply a, a more correct understanding of the old covenant. And Paul's just being extremely clever in presenting it as new. I like the phrase, there's nothing like something, when people say, oh, there's nothing like, you know, avocado on toast. And you say, well, there's avocado on bread. Um, <laughs> what do you mean there's nothing like it? And I'm reminded of the Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland where, the, where one of the characters says to Alice that there's nothing, there's nothing like eating hay when you're, feel, when you're feeling faint. Um, he remarks as he munches away. And Alice says, well, I should think that throwing cold water over you would be better. I didn't say there was nothing better, said the king. I just, I just said there was nothing like it. <laughs> and, and the trouble when you say there's nothing like something, it's it's obviously wrong. And I think that this is the sort of, but but at the same time, it's, there's a truth in it. So so when mm. you when I say to you when I say to you, oh, there's nothing like avocado on toast, bit of garlic salt, lightly spread marmite, perfect. You know, well, okay, well there are many things that are like that. Yeah, you could have plain salt instead of garlic salt. That would be similar in some ways. And that there may indeed be many things better than this. <laughs> well, there might be. What Paul's saying here is that there's um, he's playing that game. He's saying no, no, you can't, you can't keep fluffing around with all this law keeping stuff. No, no, there's nothing like that. We're we're, we're operating under the new covenant. Mm. It's nothing like the new covenant. And so then he chooses a, as all these examples things which are like the new covenant. Yeah, yeah. The old covenant. But when you said that about your avocado on toast, what it, it what is it, what is intended is an is a sense of emphasis. Hmm. You know, saying there's nothing like avocado on toast is is a statement saying avocado on toast is pretty good. Hmm. It's drawing an emphasis there. And so perhaps yeah. this this discussion of the new covenant is not the newness is not the thing. It's the it's the Excellent. emphasis being drawn, or the the emphasis and attention being drawn to the elements that have actually been there all along, but are excellent and worthy yeah. of re-emphasizing. And I want to pull that into your tradition statement, Locke, because um, adhering to a tradition is not an issue of faith; it's a question of doing. To borrow mm. the words of Paul in this passage, belonging to the Adventist tradition means. No water above the needs on Sabbath. It means being at church at a certain time on a certain day. It means singing certain sorts of music. It means, depending which tradition you belong to, certain translations of the Bible. It means making public statements in favour of certain points of views. Now, no, it doesn't. Now, <laughs> but no, that's what 
That's what a tradition is. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> I just... <laughs> yeah, but the, I, I was very careful, Luke. I didn't say that you actually have to hold the views. You just have to make the statement. This is the thing. This If, if someone said, if someone said is, is that person a traditional Adventist? We don't actually have access to their mind. No. We could say, mm. oh, well, but yes, they, they say these things. They say the right things and they do the right things. And a tradition is very much a question of doing. And, and, and Paul, I think it's a fair call, Locke, to say that the contrast that Paul's bringing out between the law and the new covenant mm. could also play out in the context of a tradition and the new covenant. And mm. it's not as if not as if the old covenant is useless. He gets so much useful truths from it in the following passages, you know, in and around this passage. He's quoting from it all the time. So it's, it's not that the thing is, is not useful, but there's nothing like the new covenant so, compared with the old one. It, it's just so much better. Here is something. Mm. Here is something a bit confounding um, that <clears throat> may cast uh, cause some issues for our our current our, our sort of idea that the um, <clears throat> the new covenant is the old covenant better understood um, I was going to ask you for the and, and I, I don't think that's necessarily such a new idea because I think in essence that's a lot of what Jesus's teachings were essentially saying is you guys have so much of an emphasis on the law and yet you don't really even understand the law and I was trying to find the verse where Jesus asks the teacher of the law what is the essence of the law and he says love the Lord your God with all the heart and love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus says yes that's correct um, but I, I couldn't I can't remember what the verse is but <clears throat> so here is a key fundamental difference between the new covenant and the old covenant and it's in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 3 and that is Christ Christ obviously doesn't exist in the old covenant because it predates him and how mm. does Christ impact the new covenant well <clears throat> I'm not really very satisfied with what it says in 14 although 13 is is more along the lines of what I've been taught and believe Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so we one you know we were he has taken on the guilt that we have for not adhering to the law. But in 14, what it says is, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, it's referring back to the Old Covenant again, might come to the Gentiles. Now, I don't think that the only purpose of the addition of Christ was to bring righteousness to the Gentiles. Because the Jews, we know, weren't, weren't righteous under the law either. Mm, mm. I also don't think... Luke, that the incarnation has to be seen in purely functional terms. I don't, I don't know if God did it be entirely because it would accomplish certain things. Mm. Um, and this is a very oblique example, but I've just been on a nominating committee at Launceston Church, and we've made a point of asking even those people we are sure will knock the job back because it's a vote of confidence from the church to ask them. And so... Um, that's a, a bleak example, but it's an example of something where we chose to do something independent of what it would achieve. And and in as much as the story of human history has been, you know, God creates people and they they disobey him and then he becomes more and more involved as the story progresses at a sort of more intimate level at increasing cost to himself mm -hmm. is is what it feels like, particularly I'm thinking of those opening pa passages of Genesis where up until the flood, um, the God's, God's, it's clear throughout the flood that God has just decided to wear a significant amount of pain and discomfort. 
Um, and, and Christ represents the culmination of that. God imminent and close and God suffering for the evil in the human heart. And, and it may be that one value in it is it's just something God wanted to do as a statement mm. of who he is. Of, of love. You know, as a means of, as, as, a, as a way of self-expression. It's certainly true that it did achieve some things. Um, you got, you know, the whole New Testament, the story of the New Testament is the explosion of a new or a refreshed or a revitalized picture of God and God's mission. Because it, ta- it, it motivates a bunch of people who would otherwise have stayed on the shores of a lake fishing every morning to yeah. you know, spread throughout the Roman Empire, proclaiming something that they felt was life-changing. So this is going to lead us, Locke, to the comment that we said at the end of last week's episode that we would address in this week's episode, but which I'm just looking at the time, we definitely do not have time. Uh, I guess the question, what, does, what did Christ's coming achieve in the world in the abstract is perhaps less important than asking what what did his coming achieve in what does what does he currently achieve in my life you're fortunate cam because next week's topic is titled the new covenant life so i think that we're actually going to be quite legitimate in postponing this oh well let's let's (laughs) postpone it then and the question that flowed over from last week was um if we are called to be christ's body on earth if if we are God's representatives here, as indeed Adam and Eve were God's representatives in the garden. If part of our original calling was to represent God, and God is in the business of making covenants, and they're nearly always covenants of restraint, of compassion and expressions of grace, then then ought we not engage in the covenant-making process with each other in the same vein, uh, where we decide to act well towards people independent of what they do to us and Mm. to provide to them means of redemption even if they don't use them and you know that's the topic i think we need to talk about next week and we'll also we'll also um, get ken to talk a little bit about uh the circumstance of what what his thoughts are we might come back to luke your question about uh whether new covenants or negate the law like what Mm. what's the i think there's there's food for discussion there Mm. Yes, I look I forward to hearing what second... Ken has to say about it. And next week's our last episode on this topic, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, there's many things still to say. I think that we could easily continue these discussions for a long time. If any of our listeners have comments that they'd like to share with us, we love hearing them. You can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. If you know anyone who you think would enjoy the podcast, please share it with them. And uh, join us next week.